You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Beyond the Crucible. Well, identity at the end of the day is based in being loved and valued. And the problem is that people are trying to be loved and valued by the world on the world's terms, which leads you to performance, appearance, comparison, measurement, and the ups and downs of how it's going right now, and including how you're feeling. Because you and I, we had some good feelings and some good things going for us, but our identity wasn't secure because it was still based in something subjective. If you know you're loved unconditionally and valued unconditionally by someone who never changes and who is powerful enough to make you and make the whole world, then you are so secure that you can be more honest with people about your faults, which lets your friendships go deep. It makes your leadership way better. Misaligned, misguided identity, we say often here, is one of the greatest tripwires to our crucible experiences. Placing our worth in the vicissitudes of other people's perceptions of us, based not on our true inner selves, is a recipe for struggle and setback. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show. This week, Warwick and I talk with former NFL quarterback Jeff Kemp, author of the new book, Receive, The Way of Jesus for Men. He stresses the necessity for men to build deep and meaningful friendships with each other in which they share the most intimate and important details of their lives. Because in doing so, they will be all that God created them to be in the areas that truly matter. And Kemp doesn't sugarcoat how challenging forging such relationships can be. You'll be floored when he talks about just how high the percentage is of men who don't have a close and trusted friend they can share anything with on any topic. The insights he shares here are aimed at lowering that number considerably. Well, Jeff, uh, so great to have you back again. Um, Loved... uh, our time together. It's hard to believe it was 2020, uh, talking about your book, Facing the Blitz, and how you really combat the crucibles and blitzes in life. And this book, uh, there's some commonalities, but there's a different focus. Receive the way of Jesus for men and how to avoid, I guess, the blitzes of life in a way uh, as a man. And uh, it's very challenging. So I'd Love to hear a bit about your reason for writing the book and the premise. And, you know, you read in the news about there being a crisis of uh, manhood and uh, a lot of uh, young boys growing up without fathers. And what does it mean to be a man and toxic masculinity? Yeah. And what does that mean? And what, I mean, heaven forbid, growing up as a young guy in today's culture, it's be confusing. But talk about what motivated you to, to write this particular book, Receive. Uh, I see that men are stuck. Um, if they don't know God, they're definitely stuck because the culture is tossing them left and right. 
And there's a million ways to try to prove that you're cool or fit in these days for young men. It's, it's very, very confusing. Uh, and then if guys do have a faith or, or, or try to walk the Christian path, they may pick up the image that I have to perform it or do it. I got to avoid these bad behaviors. I got to do these right behaviors. And pretty soon that's frustrating because you can't live it up. You can't live up to it yourself. So you kind of hide the places where you're messing up. You don't tell someone about your porn struggle. Uh, you don't let them know the arguments you and your wife are in or that, you know, you're having four glasses, five glasses, six glasses of wine every night just to kind of calm your nerves. And pretty soon you're depending on that instead of God for peace. Uh, a lot of this goes back to identity. The most important two things about any person, male or female, uh, is who you think God is and who you think you are. And I, I address that for men. Um, and not just the identity part, you guys, but with a sports background, right? A quarterback can't get anything done without a team. Um, I don't think men were designed to live as lone rangers. I think we need teamwork, but not a teamwork of a hundred people at work or a small group of eight who I pretend like I have my act together, but I never really tell them everything that's going on. Um, or a friend who I go deep with, but only four times a year. And we're not there to help each other every week. I think the ultimate teamwork that men need is friendship. So that's my mission, help men with their identity and help them learn what deep level five friendship is, how to have it, how to practice it. Well, I mean, that is a great overview of some of the key themes in the book, and we're going to explore some of those things. But let's start about, at this point, is um, people talk about a crisis of masculinity. What does it mean to be a man? The culture has all sorts of uh, thoughts about what it is. Um, you wonder, as a young guy growing up, is it okay to be a man? Is that a bad thing? I mean, it's just, you know, what does it mean? Uh, you know, as being a, as being a strong man, like you're this terrible person. It just feels like for young boys growing up, we live in a culture where the message is very confusing. And you know, it is. Uh, so, so talk about the culture for young boys. I'm, I'm sure you, you know you have grandkids. I imagine uh, some of them boys, some of your grandkids, or uh, we have three. We have three grandsons and uh, six granddaughters. I had four sons. Sure. The, yeah. They're the married guys that have uh, brought these cool little grandkids into the world. Uh, so yeah, raising raising sons, speaking to men, mentoring young men, um, working with older guys that are trying to help younger guys. Um, I think you're right. There's a crisis of manhood, and it's evident in higher suicide rates amongst older men that are isolated, increased by COVID. They're lonely. Uh, and they are not doing well. But younger men are facing some unique challenges. They get their identity, not just from, did I perform well at work? Was I a good athlete? Uh, are people impressed by my financial platform? Uh, have I Do I appear successful? You know, back when I grew up, you either were, you know, a, a kid that wanted to get great grades because you were an academic or, or you were an athlete. Uh, or you're a kind of a party scene hippie kid. Um, maybe you were artistic or, or mu musical. Maybe four categories that you could fit in and be cool in. Today, there's probably 200. And when you compare yourself to everything on social media and all the changes of style, 
you know, young men are confused and you don't know, am I me or am I my brand? Am I what mm. people think of me online or am I what God thinks of me? Do I draw my definition of myself from relationships and the inherent value of who I am inside? Or do I call it, uh, draw it from impressions and image? You know, Andre Agassi used to say, image is everything in his advertising campaign. Well, that's kind of where we've gone. Now, with image is everything, and people like your image, you still don't feel loved. You don't know if they love you for who you really are. Pro athletes have this problem. Entertainers have this problem. They have a hard time keeping marriages together. And they're not sure if the people hanging around them like them for all the money and the the fun and the package, the bandwagon, or if they really like the person. And it shows when, you know, you're not playing pro football anymore. They're not calling anymore. <laughs> and there's CEOs that know the same thing. You quit, quit the company or get fired. And all of a sudden uh, you're in a crucible. And now where are the friends? Where's the, where's the crowd? Where are the supporters? They're gone. The, the phone's not ringing. So those are part of the challenge for, for men today. But for young men in a digital culture, they have even less training at the eyeball to eyeball, shoulder to shoulder, buddy to buddy uh, friendship building that some of us had in sports, some had in the military. But even dudes in sports and military that say, man, that guy, he, he'd take a bullet for me. You know, I love him. He loves me. They're not in touch with them in a continual basis. And they're all, and they're not exactly dropping their guard and telling the other guy about how their marriage is doing, what their struggle with alcohol is, what their struggle with porn is. Uh, is this career goal of mine ambition that's pride and ugly, or is it noble and good because I want to help people? Uh, I learned things like that about myself by processing it uh, with other guys. But young men who live with screens and image uh, and are quite defensive and protective have a lot of challenge. So masculinity itself is not toxic. Masculinity and manhood, let's define it. Uh, it is growing mature to be responsible for yourself and your actions and becoming strong and courageous, not necessarily physically, strong and courageous for the benefit of others. Strength in the benefit of others. Strength in the service of others. That's Jesus, the strongest quintessential man in history. He modeled it all. He had the tenderness, the relational part, the emotional part, the toughness, the courage, the strength, the sacrifice. But it was all wrapped up in humility. And I would submit that, yes, even though he's God, he did want to be totally human flesh so he could identify with us. He lived in the most humble, dependent relationship possible with his father. That's the key to finding true masculinity, your true identity as a man, and then making marriage work, figuring out how to do friendship and be real instead of faking it or being on the surface and every other role of life. Boy, so well said. So I want to go through maybe some of the challenges that men face. Uh, you mentioned quite a few of them. Uh, men tend not to want to be real with other men. I don't know. It seems to me anyway that women not universally, maybe have a little easier time being real with other women. Uh, but men, boy, they find that uh, tough. Even, you know, within church contexts, I mean, it's just, yeah. 
uh, you know, I've been in life groups and look, I, I love all the churches I've been involved in from Australia, so I've moved around a bit. But even within a church life group uh, setting, there's levels of uh, vulnerability. And uh, I love the three questions you had sort of later in the book. I thought they were uh, absolutely awesome. Uh, let's just talk about some of the, the challenges. So there's the relational challenges and there's the identity, which I feel like certainly traditionally for men, men are, I mean, they're no longer fathers or husbands alone breadwinners, but there's sort of this cultural stereotype that, um, you know, if you're not successful as a man, you're not a man kind of thing. And, right. you know, there's this monkey on the back that- It's wrapped you know, up in success, which is wrapped up in performance, which right. today is wrapped up in appearance, right? Mm-hmm. How many followers do you have? How big is your platform? Uh, who's who, who, who's bragging about you and, you know, where are you getting your fame? Men, we're not so quick to open up and notice everything about relationships or even know that we need to value them. And the way to value them is by being real and dropping your guard and talking to someone about the, what's going on in you and asking him, hey, what's real and going on in your life? Not just how'd your sports team do and I like your new Lexus. But men can go deep and men love it when they do. But men tend to be insecure, worried about what other people think of them. Okay. I know this because I write about this in the book. I've experienced this, you know. Well, when men are feeling kind of worried about what's he going to think of me? Uh, will I lose face if I tell him this honest thing about, you know, the divorce in my past or that, no, my business isn't succeeding. I may go bankrupt or I got this problem with anger or yelling or alcohol or porn. Men are afraid of losing respect. And they're also afraid of being betrayed. You know, like you say, hey, let's share prayer requests. Hey, I'm struggling with some mental illness. Will you pray for me? Well, then you're afraid someone's going to go tell someone else. Oh, Joe says, pray for him. He He's mentally ill. Uh, and therefore, Joe doesn't open up and tell you about it. Here's what I'd like to say to men. You are wired for deep relationship. You can do it. You want it. You know it feels good to have a friend who's a deep, trusted dude who knows your secrets and you know his. Some of you have had this before. The way to get there is to realize what are the impediments and diffuse them ahead of time. Number number one is trust and safety and confidentiality. You're fearful someone's going to think less of you and pass the word on. And I want to promise you, when you tell another dude what you're struggling with, he's going to be like, geez, you too? I thought I was the only one with that problem. And frankly, there's a great quote. You might have seen it, Warwick. Um, C.S. Lewis said, friendship, true friendship is born at the moment where one man says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. How, how, how's, how you know, street level practical is that by C.S. Lewis? Honestly, if a man will think who could be a close friend or two of mine, who needs me and who do I need? And then he prays if he's a spiritual man or has a relationship with God as I do and you guys do. Ask God to guide you to a friend or two and then get intentional have a dialogue with them, whether over lunch or, you know, hunting or playing a sport. Uh, but ask them, hey, would you like a deeper level of friendship where we have confidentiality? We know we're safe with each other. We commit to be loyal. We got each other's back. And because of that, we could have the courage to talk about the junk going on in our life, honestly, without worrying that you're going to lose respect for me or vice versa. And if a guy nods, yes, dude, shake hands and the coast is clear. Men will go deep. 
my recommendation is that men don't understand that that level of friendship, I'll call it level five, the highest mm-hmm. of five levels, is available if you cancel the fears, get rid of the hurdles, and do it by defining, hey, I want this type of friendship, and I'm going to be loyal, safe, confidential, and I'll have your back. And let's stay in touch and talk, you know, a couple times a month, if not a couple times a week. That will mean your friendship goes deep. One of the things that's interesting about that, just to to for 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 listeners to understand just how rare the kind of friendship you're talking about is in the resource on your website, Men Huddle, a quick start playbook. You have a and don't say what it is because I'm going to build up the 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 tension here. Okay, <laughs> you have a it's building, it's building. In, I can feel it building, right. Gary. I know you have a. I'm not ready to hike the ball yet. You have a statistic in this pamphlet here from the perspective survey by the Survey Center on American Life in 2021, which says how many men, what percentage of men don't have a close and trusted friend they can share anything with on any topic? Listener, I want you to think about what you think that number is before Jeff tells you what that number is. How many, what percentage of men do you think don't have a close friend who they trust enough that they can share anything on any topic with him? Jeff, what's the number? It's over three quarters. It's 76% of men don't have anyone in their life that they can talk to about deep and important things on any topic. Yeah. And And that's staggering. It's staggering. That's why we feel alone. That's why we feel lonely. That's why there's so much depression and mental illness. We were made for relationship, but relationship isn't just knowing someone it's sharing your life with someone. Uh, I have a friend who had a couple hundred friends and he was kind of hinting at that with his wife. And she said, you don't have a couple hundred friends. You don't have any friends. He said, yes, I do. Boom, 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 boom. We named off all these. And he said, do they know what's going on in your life? And do you know what's going on in their life? And his answer was no. And she said, then they're not your friends. They're your acquaintances. Mm-hmm. You know, more, uh, Arthur Brooks calls those deal friends. <laughs> you do deals with them. Golf deals, business deals, rooting for the Celtics or the, you know, Chiefs or whatever your team is deals. Uh, but real friends know what's going on and you know what's going on. And and I saw another stat that I think it was uh, 63% of men don't have a best friend. And a lot of the guys you interview will say, oh, my wife is my best friend. And I say, BS, your wife is your lover, <laughs> your partner. Uh, she's your most special friend, okay? And you do need the deepest friendship with her. But you can't count on her to make you a better husband. You need a friend to kick you in the butt and say, dude, you haven't been dating your wife. You're, you're All you do is criticize her. Why don't you ever look at yourself as a husband? He said, you know, hey, we, why don't we swap homes and let you use our house for a while and you can vacation with your wife uh, and get some time with her? You know, dude, t- take your wife out, go go have fun, have a dinner. You need a friend to help make you a better husband that can speak the truth to you. Don't put all that weight on your wife. We need best friends. So I think there's hope for this. Jesus modeled this with the guys in his life. He said, I call you friends because I show you everything that my father shows me. And then he hung out with them, spent a lot of time with them, showed up at work, you know? Taught him how to fish. Hey, throw the net on the other side. Uh, Did a campfire with him, you know? Peter, here, have some fish. Uh, By the way, three times you said the other day that you don't even know me. You're probably feeling pretty bad about that, Peter. 
But you know what? I still believe in you, Peter. I'm not shocked by the failure of my friends. Do you love me? And three times he asked him that question. And three times Peter says yes. And three times Peter says, or Jesus says to Peter, well, you're going you're gonna to lead my sheep. You're going to tend my lambs. You're going to take care of my flock. I'm going to help you know build this church on this rock of your faith. So that's the type of friendship that Jesus had. And then he said, hey, I want you guys to be friends and go out in twos, not by yourself. So friendship is the way of Jesus. Deep, honest, vulnerable, transparent. But it's got to be safe. And that's why I tell men in the, um, I changed the name of it to the Level 5 Friendship Playbook. Level five friendship. It's a free download. It's short and you can share it with your friends and then you can get on the same page and chip away at some of the impediments and start sticking to the keys to having that deep teamwork and brotherhood uh, level five friendship that guys really want that can help you be a better man and, you know, get rid of the loneliness and isolation that's been killing men, not just since COVID, but especially more since COVID. That's great advice. And I want to look at some of the elements to prevent men uh, from getting in huddles, deep, uh, close relationships, be it life groups in a church or just a group of buddies. And you identified some of them, but it's um, there's the issue of image. I like when you talk about, you know, image versus identity, comparison uh, with other people, you know, friends, your dad. Uh, you know, other people, um, achievements. Compar- comparison's yeah. big. You're right. Yeah. I mean, all of those elements, if you wrap your identity in achievement, comparison, success, then of course you won't be open. Why would you be open with another guy when if you know who I am, you'll think less of me because my identity is wrapped up in comparison, achievement. And uh, so it almost... I don't want to say the inner precedes the relational, but both have to be working in tandem. Otherwise, you know, being with trying to be with a group of guys and be vulnerable is not going to work. Well, it's not it's kind of not going to work as well if your identity is all screwed up with all these other things. So just talk about some of the impediments to sharing and, and what is it you have to do to fix those things so that you'll be a whole uh, better team player in your huddle? What are some of those key elements you've just got to hit hard and and deal with? Well, a lot of guys uh, say, I'm afraid that he'll disrespect me. Uh, I'll lose esteem in his eyes. So I don't want to open up. Or I'm afraid he'll betray me and tell someone else. Or I've been in some groups and I share something kind of honest and then no one else does. So some guys are afraid that uh, who, who will really go deep with me? You know, so they use that as a concern or an, an excuse. Uh, and some say, geez, another meeting? I got too many meetings with business and church and this and that already. I don't have time for it. Okay, so busyness. Let's just stop for a second. How much media do we con- do we consume every week? And how much time does that take? And if you don't have time to get in a car and drive to another meeting with a friend for lunch or a, a walk in the woods, uh, a dialogue over a cup of coffee, a meal, I can understand that, but are you going to tell me you don't have time for a phone call to that guy at 9 p.m. or 9.30 p.m. or 6 a.m. or fit it in anywhere? Uh, You do. you got time for a Zoom call, maybe even an hour long per week. 
There's no drive time. It's easy as heck. I, I use Zoom to connect with my level five friends. And we ask great deep questions right away. We laugh. We tell what happened this week. We tell, you know, the wins and the crazy things that happened. But we won't talk for 20 minutes about the game we watched last night. Within five right. minutes, we know we need to make this quality time that deepens our friendship. Uh, and so we'll ask, hey, what's the most important thing that you need to talk about today? That gets us there. So I guess, Warwick, I would say, first of all, go through the do you want to have a deep friendship? And this is what it looks like. Level five, you can share that. If a guy says, yeah, I do, then say, well, then do you want to commit to confidentiality and being safe with each other, not fixing each other, not judging each other? Yeah, cool. Well, why don't we intentionalize it so we're, we're not going to drift out of touch? You know, you travel a lot with your job and I'm hyper busy with all these meetings I have. Uh, let's just find a time and have a half hour or a 45 minute or hour long call each week. And maybe let's move it around. The guy that can't make it, take responsibility for telling, hey, can we, can we move it from Tuesday to Thursday? I did my call this morning with my guys, which we moved from later in the week because I'm giving a speech at that time. It's very flexible. But those things of getting intentional with the timing and intentional with the confidentiality and safety and clarity, that'll take you deep. And then intentional with the question of what you talk about. That one question is probably enough for the rest of your life. Um, what's the most important thing going on in your life that you need to talk about? And uh, I always ask, what's the most important thing I can pray for? And then I pray for it right then. A short, quick prayer like, God, Gary just told me what's going on. Uh, you know better than I do what he needs. Do whatever's best in Gary's life and help him listen to you and follow you and see your hand. Amen. That's enough. But I just prayed for you, Gary. You feel stronger. And then right. I'll share my thing. And then you'll jump in and pray for me right away. And I usually have uh, a, a group of three guys when I do these calls. Uh, it's not really a group. It's three friends. And it's not something you have to join or unjoin. This is friendship. It's a verb. It's not a noun. But three really is cool because if someone doesn't show, you actually have a gathering that day. <laughs> and secondly, three personalities really works together well. And there's a lot of camaraderie. Men love camaraderie. Yeah. I mean, let's talk a bit about uh, more about identity because I feel like obviously you have a solution in terms of um, from a spiritual perspective that having our identity uh, in Christ uh, or more broadly in something eternal, some higher purpose uh, for some, is sort of the uh, the answer. When you have your identity in your job, performance, um, and you know we talk about identity a lot on Beyond the Crucible, um, every leader that's ever been is going to get either fired, resign, uh, retire, pass away, uh, there's 100% certainty for any guy that's listening is you will lose your position, guaranteed. Uh, it's and someone eventually, is gonna, someone eventually is going to do better than you and you'll feel like, oh, my career is fading, I'm less than. And then you'll feel mm -hmm. crappy about yourself if your identity is wrapped up in that. Exactly. And so, you know, when your identity is wrapped up in what you do or who you are or your family or as listeners know very well, for me, my identity was, you know, wrapped up in being you know, in this 150-year-old family, media business, um, uh, again, as listeners know, founded by as strong a businessman for Christ as I've really come across, which is a great legacy, but it's, you had, you know, had generations of guys leading the family company who 
uh, were amazing individuals. And again, li uh, listeners know this. Uh, we had three knighthoods in a row in my family. My dad had the same name as me. He was Swarik Fairfax, so a huge legacy. And so my identity was all wrapped up in being a Fairfax in the family business. So when that failed under my watch, then obviously my identity was was shot. And I was a believer, but it was still tough. I had to reorient sure. my theology that God loves me for who I am, not because of some family legacy, even a family legacy founded by a believer. And obviously, you're yeah. very familiar with family legacy with your dad right. and all that. But, I was going to um, say, I've got, yeah. a, I've got a story just like yours that <laughs> I should probably share with your listeners. Yeah, 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 please. I mean, just talk about how your identity can't be in your family, even if you have a dad like we both did that we admire and love and, and respect and uh, did great things, that your, your identity can't be in performance. It has to be in, I guess, for us in, in Christ, but in some higher purpose. I feel like that is the solution, if you will. If you, you know, what is the answer, Jeff? It feels like that feels like that is the answer. Talk about, I guess, what that answer is and why that's a whole lot better than the alternatives that men try that, that fail. Well, identity at the end of the day is based in being loved and valued. And the problem is that people are trying to be loved and valued by the world on the world's terms, which leads you to performance, appearance, comparison, measurement, and the ups and downs of how it's going right now, and including how you're feeling. Because you and I, uh, we had some good feelings and some good things going for us, but our identity wasn't secure because it was still based in something subjective. If you know you're loved unconditionally and valued unconditionally, by one who never changes and who is powerful enough to make you and make the whole world, then you are so secure that you can be more honest with people about your faults, which lets your friendships go deep. It makes your leadership way better. You know, a CEO who admits his mistakes and weaknesses gets the company to act much more responsibly than a CEO who, who acts like he never makes a mistake and just points the fingers. So my story is, I had a dad like yours in some degree. Uh, he, my dad was a super encourager. He did a great job of building up my confidence and my vision for a successful life as a significant quarterback and a significant leader. And I just transferred a lot of that into Christian ministry after I was done with my pro football career. Now, dad always said, hey, your day's going to come. You're a starter. Think like a starter. I believe in you. You're a camp. Be, be a leader. Um, so I knew that I would succeed because of dad's encouragement. The problem was my present life, usually as a third stringer in high school or a third stringer in college or a second stringer in the NFL uh, or a guy that just got traded or cut, wasn't everything that I was envisioning. So in 2020, I uh, had all my speaking get canceled, the travel and income and trips. And I came home and I asked God to refather me. I'd gotten this idea from a friend, Ed, which just meant, you know, dad was a good dad, but he wasn't a perfect dad. I want to be refathered by the Heavenly Father. And I started reading the Bible um, and asking questions and praying as a son, listening to his father instead of as a Christian, looking into the Bible for information. And uh, man, the Bible came alive. My times talking to God came alive. I was, it was like I was talking to Papa, Daddy, you know, not some almighty God way off there somewhere. Um, and I came across a book that uh, told me to ask some questions about myself. One of them was, what's my lie? 
And the, the lie that I had adopted over life was that I'm going to be such a success that the present version of me is not living up to that. Mm. So my lie was that the present Jeff isn't enough. I was, I was just not yet happy that I'd reached my goals. The idol that I built, this is the second question. What idol have you made more important in life than God? And that's simply the meaning of an idol. Anything that becomes more important than the God that made you. The idol that I built was future Jeff. My future versions could be great. I'm persevering and I'm a late bloomer, but I'm not there yet. But that's my idol. I want to get there. It made me very ambitious for significance, okay, um, and, and achievement. Even in Christian ministry, I wanted to be a significant Christian impact. That's kind of an oxymoron. Christianity is based in humility, not pride. And then the, the sin that that produced was discontentment. I had so many good things in my life, so many opportunities. I was discontent as a backup quarterback playing 11 years in the NFL. As soon as I named those three things, I realized I was still basing too much of my identity on living for God, performing for God, becoming a leader, measuring up to my dad. At 50, he was running for president. I was just running a nonprofit, right? My dad won championships. I was, you know, a second string quarterback in the NFL. It was never enough. I now see myself as Abba Father's beloved son. And I get credit for everything Jesus did in his perfect life by grace because I trusted in Jesus as my Savior. And the Father says, I've adopted you. And if he adopts me, he loves me and he values me. And the things he said about Jesus, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, and you have a purpose in this life as my representative of love and truth in Jesus, uh, that's my identity. Okay. And then I'm more naturally likely to say, I'm Stacy's husband and the grandpa to these kids and the dad to those guys and your friend than I am. I'm an ex-NFL player that just wrote a book or whatever it's going to be. So identity is rooted in love and value, which must be rooted in an unconditional relationship if you don't want it to be wavering with the vicissitudes and ups and downs of life. Yeah. I mean, what you just said, Jeff, is, is so uh, important. I mean, just this notion that your identity was caught up in uh what future jeff and um significance i wanted to be more significant right it, it, exactly and you know certainly in my own life when you know the 150 year old family media business went under after my failed 2.25 billion dollar takeover of it yeah i was devastated i felt like i'd let my family down i felt like i'd let god down you know he had some plans so i thought to resurrect the company in the image of the founder and I failed in that, but I sort of came to realize, as obviously uh, you know, we all have uh, here, that um, God loved me unconditionally, and despite my stupidity, if God had wanted my takeover to work out, it would have. Clearly, he had a different plan. He doesn't need my stuff. And so I had to go through this sense that um, I would never have, at least in, in the world's eyes, I would never have the impact uh, with anything I could do after you know, my failed takeover when I was in my late 20s, that anything I would achieve would be less. Right. You know, that was like being, you know, sort of like a NFL Hall of Fame quarterback. I could have made a difference in the nation of Australia since that company had some of the most influential media properties. No matter what I do now, the history books, it will be just like a, a, a dot compared to that. And I said, so I have had to have this internal discussion saying, okay, factually, probably true. But so what? You know, God loves me for who I am. And so 
I've almost had this sort of mantras since, and I, I think it sounds like you do too, is that I will not be defined by numbers. So, you know, I'm sure you've probably done this too, but when my book, um, Crucible Leadership, uh, came out, Embrace Your Trial, Lead a Life of Significance, I was literally on my knee in pr- knees in prayer saying, Lord, whether it sells one copy, a thousand, ten thousand, I will not be defined by number of book sales. Now, we have a great team trying to make sure it's as successful as possible. So, I'm not do- not yeah. doing the work. I'm doing the work. But I will not be defined by numbers. I won't be defined by numbers of downloads of this podcast, although we do what we can to market it and make it a good podcast. But but I think, I'm sure you can identify with this. And certainly in the, in the ministry world, it's so tempting to say, if you're a pastor of a church, are you defined by whether your congregation is 500, 1,000, 10,000? It's easy to say, of course not. But really, are you honest? I mean, go in your prayer closet with the Lord. So just you know, talk a bit about even for people of faith, it's so easy to be defined by numbers, by I've got to be better, I've got to have a bigger impact, save more souls. And it, it's it's toxic, and it's certainly not Jesus from my perspective. Does that make well, sense? Well, it goes back to that the angel of light at the beginning, uh, Lucifer, was a beautiful, amazing angel, but he wanted to be as famous and as, as glorified and as powerful as God. And that's what led to rebellion. And it was based in pride. And Adam and Eve were told, you don't need to listen to God. You can do it a little bit better. Your way's better than him. Don't worry about that one tree. Do it the way you want. And pride made humanity uh, and make pride makes me want to do it my way, which is going to make me feel better. And usually my way has something to do with achieving, comparing, and being seen as a success, right? Uh, that can transfer into your faith. So the title of, of the book that I wrote, Receive, The Way of Jesus for Men, is not just crucial to gaining your identity. It applies to women as well, but I wrote the book for men particularly. But Jesus lived by receiving from his father every minute, every moment. And that protected him from saying, okay, my goal is this, and the success is, looks like this, and the measurement is this, and here's the strategy to do it. And pretty soon, he would have been controlling his life, affected by pride and selfishness the way we are. And that's what I've learned about my life. Just because I believe in God and I get my identity from him doesn't mean I then go on running my life in the best way I can to be a Christian success and then asking God to bless it every now and then when I remember to pray or get me out of trouble after I blow it. Actually, Jesus lived by listening to the Father nights away, early mornings, every moment he was listening in dialogue with Abba Father. He said, I never do or say anything apart from my Father. The Son can do nothing apart from the Father. This is all in the book of John, the quotes of Jesus. And what I'm sharing with men is that you can live as a dependent son of your father 24-7. And it's almost like you have that NFL quarterback helmet that has the speaker, the coaches talking into your ear. You can be listening to the father every minute. How do I handle my wife tonight? This argument. How do I talk to my son? What do I do with that money? Do we make this investment? Do we not? Am I going to watch this TV show or this thing on the internet? Or am I going to ask God, what would you rather have for me? He's not going to smash you. He doesn't hate bad things because you're breaking a moral law. He hates them because they damage you and they take you away from his freedom and his joy of connecting to him. So 
I would urge people, I mean, the book is going to be a big help, but ask God, how can I start receiving from you every minute of my life in every situation and let the Bible start becoming the father's download to you, the son, and let prayer be a dialogue where you're waiting to hear him, not just saying, oh, I know what I'm going to do. Please bless it, which is what a lot of our, you know, consumer Christianity prayers are. It's so much more liberating and safe and blessed and fun uh, to listen to God and have him guide you. Then when things go well, uh, like in a particular game, I remember a Monday night game, I had no confidence in my skills, but I had no fear because I'd seen God work and be trustworthy for so long. I threw the game-winning touchdown from my falling on my back. I got the game ball. I didn't even know the system. I was brand new to the team. Uh, and the coach gave me all this praise and glory and the game ball. And I laughed because I knew I didn't earn it. God had given it to me because I trusted him. It protected me from pride. And of course, pride divides a marriage. Pride divides the races. Pr pride divides the socioeconomic classes and the political parties. Humility heals and unites. The way of Jesus is receiving from the Father in humble dependence. That's why I wrote this book. And I want to help men um, get that identity, learn to live like Jesus by receiving from him, and then build the friendship that's honest and real so you have the teamwork to be who you were meant to be. Because men really do get confidence uh, of their manhood from other men. Yeah, those two elements, you mentioned both the, the receiving continually and just being aware of, of the good times, you know, because and just turning it all over to God. And um, yeah, does that make sense? Because I think those it two does. things is hugely important. Let me wrap up by thanking you for being honest about the, um, the crucibles, the blitzes, the trials. And secondly, the fact that we're talking right now about the most intimate part of identity and being real and having a couple of close friends so I want to urge every guy to go to my website, menhuddle.com, and grab the free uh, Level 5 Friendship Playbook. And I'd love for them to grab a couple copies of Receive, The Way of Jesus for Men. Share it with some friends. Talk about it. Process it. Maybe in a small group, but at least with another friend or a mentor or a buddy. Or use it as a Christmas gift, you know, uh, or any time of the year gift. So, uh, yeah, menhuddle.com, they can find it under Receive. And it's at Amazon, and I have a bunch of bulk order deals where people can give a bunch of them to friends for better prices. But thank you for this time, you guys. I have been in the communication business long enough to know when the final word has been spoken on a subject, and Jeff Kemp just spoke it. You might say he just spiked the ball uh, after he spoke it. Um, so until the next time we're together, listener, do remember that we understand that crucible experiences like we've talked about here on the show are difficult. They're challenging. They can knock you for a loop. They can feel like you've been blitzed. Um, but we also know this, that they're not the end of your story. In fact, if you learn the lessons of your crucible, if you begin to walk that out, you begin to develop what we call a team of fellow travelers. Sounds a lot like the friendship that we've discussed on this episode of the show. If you go forward with those lessons, it can lead to the best chapter of your life because where that chapter leads is to a life of significance. If you enjoyed this episode, learned something from it, 
we invite you to engage more deeply with those of us at Beyond the Crucible. Visit our website, beyondthecrucible.com, to explore a plethora of offerings to help you transform what's been broken into breakthrough. A great place to start? Our free online assessment, which will help you pinpoint where you are on your journey beyond your crucible and to chart a course forward. See you next week.